Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hey guys, welcome back. It's another week, another Wednesday, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, it is my second birthday clip-a-palooza. That's a term that Steve Miller, my best friend, coined, and I love it. What a perfect word for the silliness that is this show. This week's episode is Season 5, Episode 25, The Way We Were, Part 1. And it is uh, the first half of the season finale for Season 5, and it is a clip show. And I was talking to Matthew and I said, I don't know what to do for a clip show. I don't want to just have another guest on and they kind of get cheated because I've already discussed the clips ad nauseum. And Matthew is the one who suggested, why don't you do a clip show while you're doing the clip show? And I was like, you mean include bits and pieces from past episodes of my show that pertain to the... Wow, that's an awful lot of work. But then I realized that this is my second birthday. These episodes are falling right before and right after Halloween 2020. And that means this podcast is two years old. So even though I'm right on the heels of my 100th episode celebration, uh, I was like, nope, this is all I need for an excuse to go to the effort and listen to all the old shows. I I joke about being a narcissist and about listening to my own show a lot. Well, I I think I'm at the saturation point right now. I think I need to not listen to me. And uh, Matthew even offered to help, and I did delegate a few of these to him to find me clips because I was like, I I just can't. I open my mouth to talk, and my brain is going, (laughs) so anyway, so no guests this week other than a whole bunch of guests who have been here before. Each half of this episode has about 25 clips. Uh, that's an awful lot. Um, I'm not going to be doing that many. Thankfully, there are duplicates, and uh, some of them are from Season 5, and I'm not pulling you clips from Season 5 when we're in Season 5. You just heard them. You can go back and listen to them yourself. But it's really been fun to go back and revisit so many of these shows and relive the good times I've had with all my guests, who are mostly my friends anyway. So let's get started and begin the episode. Now, uh, normally I'd ask my guest to do the two-sentence TV Guide synopsis before we do the microscopic dissection. And I think the two-sentence synopsis for part one is... Uh, the girls are preparing to leave Edna's Edibles and Peekskill for the summer vacation. And in the process, they have fights and Joe's future with the group is left in question. <gasps> dum dum dum. So yeah, it is a clip show, but there is a new plot that is used to kind of tie them together, sort of. And it's effective, mostly. The episode was directed by Asad Kelada. It was written by Jerry Mayer, one of the originals. So um, it's it's kind of a, a lightweight plot. By my calculation, I did sort of track the, the length of the bits and pieces of the show. And I think part one, the new material is like nine minutes and 17 seconds. And part two is six minutes and six seconds. So over the course of this double episode, we have only 15 minutes and 13 seconds of new material. So it's not even enough for a rerun length episode. Uh, Nonetheless, it is fun. It has a few good lines in it. And uh, we uh, we can get started, I guess. It's, it's weird not having another person to be bouncing this off of. So we begin the episode and actually spend the entire episode in the bedroom. And the place is somewhat disheveled. It's kind of sort of 
being packed up. There are boxes. Tootie is putting some stuff into a, a packing box. And once again, Joe is working on some sort of a fucking engine part up in the girl's bedroom. Turns out it's a carburetor. She's got it on a TV tray next to her bed. And uh, the first joke is, as Joe reaches for a tool, she reaches behind her on the bed. And what does she pick up? A kitten. Oh, well, Joe is not amused. Joe is very much in the zone of working on this carburetor. And we learn that the cat is Tootie's cat and his name is Jeffy. And she's named it Jeffy after her boyfriend, Jeff. Uh, from whom she received this kitten as a gift. So no sooner do we learn this than Mrs. Garrett comes running in. She has uh, Natalie with her. She has some empty boxes. And Mrs. Garrett is screaming in hysterics. The painters are due any minute. Strip the beds. Empty the closets. Get things off the walls. And it, I, I, I can't go on. I have to stop and say, why am I crazy? Everywhere I look in that bedroom, it is either wood or wallpaper. The only thing that looks like it might have paint on it is the the slope of the roof where you see the beams. Between the beams, I think that is a solid color where they might paint. But Mrs. Garrett is acting like this entire room has to be stripped and packed up. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, we are not even six months into the Edna's Edibles uh, year, the era, this season. And it's like, why are you packing up and painting this bedroom when clearly you would have had to have painted it when you renovated the entire fucking house in order to open up the business and make it habitable. So this is a really, really lame premise as far as this is the reason why there's all this packing up going on. Now, in addition to this, there is also this thing of uh, it is summer vacation. So the girls are getting ready to leave because school is over. And, um, did, oh, did I mention this is in May? This this broadcast, May 9th of 1984, originally ran as uh, a one-hour episode, but in the reruns, it's uh, split up into two episodes. Uh, so this is May. We're at the end of the school year. So the girls are going away, and this begs the other question that I so frequently have to deal with is, who is minding the store? Mrs. Garrett has been running a business for half a year now, with a staff of four people. And now she, she's just going to do it all on her own? Like like the Christmas week when it's like, oh, hey, it's Christmas vacation. Bye. Peace out, bitch. I, I don't understand the business model. And this is where I really wish we had, you know who I'm going to mention, you know what I'm going to say, Mr. Lazzaroni. Why couldn't we have brought him back? God, he was, I think, my favorite thing this season. And it makes me sad we didn't get more of him. But no sooner does Mrs. Garrett uh, freak out about how uh, over the lack of progress the girls have been making, and she sees Jeffy, the cat. And she quickly goes into this comedic... And very quickly, the joke is that Mrs. Garrett is allergic to cats. And we know that that is true because um, it was mentioned in Big Fish, Little Fish, Season 5, Episode 18. Tootie had mentioned trying to put one over on Mrs. Garrett and get a cat and bring it into the house. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's stupid. Just a stupid idea. And um, very quickly, Tootie takes Jeffy, the cat, out to feed him and gets him out of the room. So then we have a little interchange between Mrs. Garrett and Natalie. Natalie is excited because this summer coming up, she is going to be going to Truman Capote's writing camp. <laughs> okay. Uh, she jokes about uh, with Mrs. Garrett about how it's, you know, an academic camp. But Mrs. Garrett does sort of joke about, yeah, they've got a lake. They've got swimming and canoeing. It's like, come on, it's going to be a little bit of a 
typical summer camp vacation anyway, but Natalie tries to pass it off that it's, you know, very prestigious. I mean, Truman Capote uh, was was and is uh, one of the big titans of American writers. And here's an interesting thing. This show was taped and broadcast in May of 84. Truman Capote died in August of 84. So uh, <laughs> to go to the Truman Capote writing camp in the summer of 84... Uh, that could have been very, very eventful, because if he was there, they could have been around when he died. There's a story you can tell your grandkids. Yeah. I also did question, wait a minute, how can Natalie be going to a summer camp, a writing camp, when we know that she and Tootie went to some sort of a resort uh, where we learn about their shenanigans in the season six, episode one you know, what happened over the summer, basically. So I did look it up, and it turns out that the story they tell in Season 6, Episode 1, is uh, a week that Natalie's mother brought Natalie and Tootie to this resort on Cape Cod. So, okay, we know summer camp doesn't take all of the summer, it's only a few weeks, so we will give the writers a little bit of a pass here that there was more than one event on Natalie's social and professional calendar during this summer. So then Mrs. Garrett checks in with Joe. What's the progress with this thing that you're working on? And Joe is like, oh, I'm getting there with the money I'm going to be making rebuilding this carburetor, I guess. Joe is going to be taking her mother on her first vacation in two years. So, therefore, this is important, what Joe is doing. As in, gee, I hope something doesn't happen that messes it up. <laughs> so then Blair comes in. Blair is all up in arms because she's trying to pack up her clothes for the summertime, and she cannot find her peach pumps. Turns out she's going to be a bridesmaid or a maid of honor in five different weddings this coming summer. And the peach pumps go with one of the dresses, and she can't find them. So that's going to come back in just a few minutes. And then Joe says she's got to run out to Cycle City to buy some type of a part to complete building this or rebuilding this engine carburetor thing. And in the process, Blair says, Oh, would you pick up my peach organza? Oh, that's a dress. And Joe's like, yeah, okay, whatever. So then Blair, here's here's another moment where I'm I'm like just staring at the screen, slack jawed and dead eyed. Blair throws car keys at Joe, and says, "Why don't you take my car and not your bike?" Because she doesn't want the dress to get messed up. And I'm like, wait, hold it. Blair throws Joe car keys. Blair has a car all of a sudden? What 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 happened? Where? Who? I have questioned many times, particularly over season 4, why doesn't Blair have a car? Blair has been old enough to drive and she's rich as fuck. She should have had a car. Anyway, magically my dream has come true and I'm still unhappy. So, there it is. So, now we have Blair and Natalie left in the room, and Natalie opens up a cedar trunk at the foot like of the bed. Not, not of the bed, it's like down on the step of the two levels of this odd set that's supposed to look like an attic, sort of. But Natalie says, hey, Blair, look at this stuff that has accumulated over the last six months, where we just fucking moved here at the beginning of this same school year. It's like, remember the episode where Joe came down with the milk bottles because it was, oh, look at all this old stuff that's up in the attic. It's like, why? Things don't have, you, you guys have not been there long enough for things to accumulate, for paint jobs to be needed to be done on the bedroom, for you to not know what is up in the attic attic if this bedroom isn't the attic, which the architecture belies. But I'm getting a little too excited here. Anyway, this is the important part because I've been talking a lot. This is a lot of plot, plot, plot. I, I'm sure you're saying to yourself, David, isn't this a clip show? Why are you still babbling about the plot? Well, finally, 
The stuff in this trunk is going to be the springboard that gets us started with the clips. So they pull out the stuff. Blair is like, oh, it's one of my Harvest Queen crowns. Natalie pulls out an article that she wrote. They find yearbooks and souvenirs. <gasps> and look at these. They find Tootie's roller skates. And uh, Blair says something like, how could I forget these? In her first year, she never took them off. And now I do want to point out the skates are blue. They are sneakers with wheels on them. That was a popular thing in the late 70s. They are not the white lace-up skates. Even though in the first clip that we see, Tootie is wearing white lace-up skates like you'd get at the skating rink. <sighs> but anyway, we are now 4 minutes and 17 seconds into this episode. So we now have our first montage of clips. And this section is dedicated to Tootie and her roller skates and her first year. And remember, Tootie's first year was the first season of the show, even though there was one reference to her being there in fifth grade. That, that reference was wrong. That is not canon. Tootie's first year at Eastland was season one when she was in sixth grade. And so in this group of clips, there are nine of them. They are all from season one. And this is pretty much <laughs> the TV show saying, and we're going to get this shit out of the way and then move on. Pretend like season one really wasn't a thing. So it's using Tootie's roller skates as the excuse to get, uh, get the season one clips done and gone. And then we can get on to season two where we know the show really begins. Anyhow, the very first clip is her yelling at Mrs. Garrett that the pig is on the bus. That was back in episode, um, season one, episode one, when they're having the big harvest coming up, you know, the, the harvest queen, and it might be Cindy, even though she may think she may be a lesbian. And um, the joke is, uh, Mrs. Garrett in response says, Oh, Tootie, the pig can't drive a stick shift. Yeah. The next clip is Tootie at the Blackboard. This is a pretty uh, popular clip. This is a clip you've seen a lot of because uh, she's doing the ditto marks as she is writing out, I will not be nosy. That was season two, episode four. And uh, this is going to bring in my first clip. The episode was IQ and my guest was Mike Marinaccio. And as I thought about when he was on the show, I was immediately reminded with how the evening got started. So this is before we really even got into the show. This is how Mike and I started things out. So here I am with Mike Marinaccio. Hi. Hi. How are you? Very good. I'm so thrilled you took the time to be here and do this. Uh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. I'm excited. I, I wanted to preface this by saying when I threw in the DVD, you were like, so what are we watching? <laughs> you just thought you were coming on a podcast. You had no idea there was this structure. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I, it pays to be able to be... <laughs> Fat, quick on your feet and and jump into whatever situation and, and uh, yes. you know I'm Mike I ain't is, scared he's not scared of no facts of life <laughs> yeah he ain't scared of facts of life he doesn't have to watch seasons seven through nine I know that's coming and that's going to be a slog. Now, moving on, the next clip is uh, where Tootie and Natalie are saying to Mr. Bradley that they're not planning to go to college because they want to become beauticians. They uh, say they're going to major in advanced sassooning. And then that's immediately followed with the clip in the girl's bedroom where Natalie gives Tootie the blonde wig. That's an image that's in all of the end credits for the entire season one, because there's nothing funnier than a black child putting on a blonde wig. Uh, both of those clips come from season one, episode five, called Overachieving. And my guest for that episode was Michael Wanzi. And uh, similar to the Mike Marinaccio episode, before we even got started, he I had him calling me out for my... Uh, in uh, in process home studio my evolving home studio and uh, this is how things started with Mr. Wanzi. 
So hi, Michael Wanzi. Well, hello, David. Thank you for coming to my beautiful home. It is lovely and recording here in your bedroom. What, no, the studio. Shh. Oh, we're, the studio. We're in the studio. It this has is... a bed in it. That it... makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> you record your way, I'll record mine. <laughs> we are in the age of the Me Too movement. Yes. I don't think you should have a bed in your studio. This, okay. Um, inappropriate <laughs> is in the eye of the president. So the deal is... <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, the uh, recording studio has moved from my bedroom to my office to my dining room. And now, thanks to the pandemic and everything being by Zoom and uh, people moving into my house, I have my studio back in my bedroom. And if there's ever a day I can have a human being in the same room with me recording again, I don't know quite how I'm going to do it. We'll figure it out as we go along. It is very weird by the way, to hear these clips and be like, oh, that's right. We were in the same room. We used to do that. That's so weird, remembering the, the before times. But continuing with these clips, next we have the clip from season one, episode six, Emily Dickinson. This is the one where Tootie knows that Blair is going to be copying a poem by Emily Dickinson. And so she is negotiating what Blair can do for her in return. So Blair offers to make her bed, to clean her room, to press her uniform. And uh, here's the thing. At one point, Tootie says, I don't know, because I'm under so much pressure. Little precursor to uh, there's going to be trouble. But my guest for this episode was Brett Walden. And you may or may not remember, Brett had a fascinating story to tell after we watched this episode where Blair submitted an Emily Dickinson poem to a poetry contest and came in third. Uh, very unexpectedly, <laughs> Brett had this to share with me. So I went down to the office of the Daily Nebraskan and I said, um, I want to be your illustrator. These aren't good. And they said, well, our um, editorial cartoonist is actually graduating after this year and we're going to need a new one. Oh. Would you like to apply for that? And so I was like, okay. So they said, you know, draw us a couple of batches of ideas that you might have now and we'll whatever, whatever. So um, I drew up some cartoons, never having done it before, no experience with it, never really paying attention to the news like that. But, um, but I, so I drew up like eight or something, turned them in. Immediately they were like, yep, you're our new editorial cartoonist uh, starting next year. So... All of a sudden, it's like I had to start paying attention to what was oh. going on um, in the news and stuff. And there was a time where I would look at other editorial cartoons oh. to see what they were writing about. Yeah. And there was a day that I was on a deadline and I had nothing else to say and I didn't know what to write about. And so I took an idea mm -hmm. from... <laughs> <laughs> from another editorial you, you, cartoonist. You borrowed it. I borrowed an idea. Illegally, yes. And um, turned it in and thought nothing of it until my editor came back to me a few months later and said, hey, you remember that cartoon? Uh, we submitted it to the collegiate like <gasps> editorial cartoonist like society, and you won second place oh, no. for best cartoonist in the country. Oh, Shit. And I had a Blair moment where I was like, oh, oh no, no. <laughs> why was it that one? Wow. Um, so, so as, as far-fetched as it seems, it, I went through this exact same process that, that Blair did. unbelievable. And, and we did not plan this. This is no, just a random no. scheduling wise. You were just the next one I signed up yep. with a time slot. The, and this is, the, is how it landed. This is the first that time, is amazing. This is the first time I've ever talked about it. Wow. So... I'm so honored. <laughs> wow. Blair won third place. I won second place. You won second, though, so Brett's better than Blair. <laughs> Don't ever forget that. <laughs> so weird that of all episodes, he would get that one. That's just, that still blows my mind. Now, we've got a clip from season one, episode 13, which was the dope episode. And it's the one where where they're talking about the group. Remember the girls who were smoking the dope were in this this group, and we had Tumpy and Emily and all that. And the clip here is of Tootie, and she is doing this thing where she is 
kind of posing and looking directly at the camera and saying, you know, what is it like being in the group? Oh, hi, Tumpy. Hey there, Poopy. Where's Dippy and Bitsy and Snitsy? Um, and that's interesting to look back on that with her being so young in season one. And remember in the dieting episode, season one, episode seven, when they're in that room, that sort of dining room that we never saw before or after? Remember she did that again, where she was like pretending to do a commercial for some type of healthy food. Interesting that those are very early signs of Tootie wanting to be an actress and her actually performing for both the camera, but also her friends. That was really interesting to see that. But the episode uh, this clip is from is season one, episode 13, Dope. And my guest was James Brendlinger. And if you will recall, we didn't even have to talk about the episode before he blew my mind with pointing out something very interesting about the opening theme. So we are not going to make it past the first shot of the opening theme. 13 episodes in, as it starts, James says to me, look at that. Do you notice how the lawn isn't taken care of, how the lawn looks terrible? And I'm like, wait, what? So wherever they <laughs> shot the, the front of the Eastland School, which is a I'm, real location. Yes. Uh, it must have been summer break or something, but the shrubs are overgrown. There are weeds growing up through the concrete steps where the girls are running down the steps. And the lawn is, you know, knee high in places. My best guess is it must have been summer break and they just weren't, and the groundskeepers weren't working as hard when yeah. they came in and just did some of their mm -hmm. establishing shots. But that shot stays into the next season. I, into um, the next just, three seasons. So I would think... If I knew a film crew was coming, I might just run the lawnmower over the lawn in front of the building they're going to shoot at. But yeah, that maybe blew not. my mind. And it's it's so funny. This is this is the joy of this podcast is bringing in all these other eyes and perspectives <laughs> who look at stuff. And it's like, oh, I never even thought of that. And the other thing about the... You, want, you pointed out a second thing in the opening theme that I've never noticed. In the final shot of the opening theme where the girls are rolling around on each other... There is a man standing in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. He's wearing red, and he is clearly just staring at the girls as they roll on the ground. With his arms crossed. He's just his watching. Arms crossed. And um, that might be the Zodiac Killer. And you oh. probably think I'm joking. But <laughs> oh, no. before he was up in Northern California, oh, he was roaming around some college campus in Southern California. Oh, That's, they found uh, some of his symbols scratched on a desk, so I'm pretty sure it's the Zodiac. Wow. I would love to find out from someone on the crew... Who was that guy in your shot, and why was that not edited out? Because yeah. honestly, they could have just zoomed in closer on the girls and not had him. But uh, yeah. every episode, he is standing in the background staring at him. It's, it's strange. Yeah, we look, but we do not see. How often has that happened to me in the course of my uh, theoretical microscopic dissection of this entire series? And then I discover I miss huge, big, major things, obvious things, but oh well, I guess this is a journey for me as well as everyone else. Now, the next clip is weird because you know I always go off and obsess about the syndication versions of the episodes and what they cut out. Well, the next clip is in the syndicated version, but it is not in the full-length DVD version. I, I've never encountered this before. It's a different clip from same episode, the dope episode, season one, episode 13. And it's the end of the first act where Tootie and Natalie have bought the bongs and Mrs. Garrett is holding them and she is shocked and upset that they sold them to children. And finally, the clip ends with Mrs. Garrett saying, people use this to smoke marijuana. And then Tootie says... There's going to be trouble. And then Natalie echoes, make it a double. So put a pin in that, please. That clip that was not in the full-length version, yet was for some reason added to the syndication version. The next clip we get is them all running in from jogging. This was uh, season one, episode 11, running when Mr. Bradley put uh, P 
pitted Sue Ann against Cindy and ruined their friendship and was a complete asshole. Um, this is the one where Tootie and Natalie come in from jogging, and we only see them pretty much above the waist. There is a full-length shot, but it, it is not there very long. And the joke is... Natalie is out of breath. Well, of course, she's the young fat girl. And she's saying, oh, I'm too young to die. I'm too young to die. And Tootie says, uh, while Tootie is still moving her legs up and down, like Tootie is still working to get those steps in, she says, did you hit the wall of pain? And Natalie says, more like the wailing wall. I, uh, Wailing as in crying or wailing as in removing whales from the ocean. I'm not comfortable with either of those, actually. But the thing to point out is this is still in the cluster of clips about Tootie and her roller skates. And Tootie is jogging next to Natalie and holding her up with the damn skates on. It is ridiculous. And speaking of ridiculous, my guest that week was Kevin Kriegel. And uh, we had some interesting things to talk about since Mr. Parker was so obsessed with this trophy that they had to win for running and for how often he was polishing his trophy. Then I'll let you finish. Tell us how the episode ends. I talk she way said, too much. We should put Mr. Mr. Bradley in it. And he's like, no, it should be you. And then they take a picture. Mrs. Garrett gets in the middle. And just as they're about to take the picture... Blair comes down, black eye glowing in the mm. night. Oh, no pictures, please. <laughs> oh, Blair. And then I <laughs> shoved a pencil in my eye. <laughs> but, yeah, it's that, that cheesy thing of, you know, let's call, I'm going to call this picture two champions. And Mr. Bradley says... Why don't you call it three champions? And they're like, okay, get in it, Mr. Bradley. He's like, no, I mean you, Edna. That and then they kissed. And then no, no kissing. Yes. And Alex did ask in his episode, he was like, so she, was she like flirting with him when she's all batting her eyes? Like, do they ever get it on? I was like, well, Mrs. let me Garrett? think about that. Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, let me think about that. Um, oh. No. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So there was no episode of her polishing his tr- no, trophy. No, no trophy polishing. <laughs> no, stop. Mr. Bradley polishing Mrs. Garrett's trophy. Mr. Parker wanting to eat her strudel. Uh, uh, Let's just keep moving on here. Uh, In fact, the next clip is Tootie and Blair in the bedroom when the fight had broken out and Blair got the accidental black eye. And Blair puts on uh, the eye patch with the bedazzled eye on it. And... um, then the final clip of this uh, bit is uh, also from the IQ episode, the season one, episode four. And that's where Mrs. Garrett discovers that Tootie has the IQ scores and has been blabbing them. And she says, so don't you think you know what you need to do? And Tootie says, yeah, make a break for it. And Mrs. Garrett grabs her and pulls her back, rolling her on the skates. That was a visual Uh, intentional joke and then she says I guess I gotta go see Mr. Parker and Mrs. Garrett says I'll roll you down that last mile and with that we go back to the current day story and by the way when we go to the clips it dissolves to a pink screen and then to the clip we have this sort of pink in between we don't get the ripply Wayne's World thing it's just this uh, pinkness so then Tootie comes back into the room with the cat, with Jeffy, and she's like, what are you laughing about, Natalie and Blair? And they say, you and your first year, remember? And they show her the skates, and she's like, oh my goodness, the skates. So to take the skates in her hands, she hands the cat to Natalie and says, would you put Jeffy back in his cage? And uh, then Blair is looking through her yearbook. And very quickly, we go to our next group of clips. Blair says, "Ugh, these early years here at Eastland, everything was perfect, just perfect. And then something happened. What happened? And then it fades to pink. And then we come to Joe's arrival. 
the very first time we see Joe when she takes off the helmet. And we are now in Season 2, Episode 1. This is basically a series of seven clips that synopsize what happened between season one and season two. So we have Joe's arrival. Then we have them uh, arguing about her name. Then we have the my Jordashes or your Jordashes, the argument about men. Tootie suggesting the chuggle of Joe with the roll of tape on her belt. Uh, how to... Joe asking Blair for a picture to make the fake ID. Then we have the girls in jail. Blair saying she's got to get out of here. Let me out. Let me out. And Blair, we've only been here for 45 minutes. Well, that's great. We basically are now brought up to speed with what the show really has been for the last four years. So because this is the season premiere for episode two that we are revisiting, you know, on my show, first episode of the season is always a Matthew Arder episode. So he had uh, a few different things that I thought were noteworthy that I wanted to revisit and share because God, he is just so fucking funny. So here is Matthew. Where was NBC's first, like, I think it was Different Strokes, but what no, place? No, Little did... House on the Prairie, number 14. <laughs> oh, God. And number two. I would rather eat a live cat than sit through an episode of Little House <laughs> on the fucking Prairie. It's, I just can't watched take it. it. We watched it. It's yes, everybody very, watched it. It's everybody... very precious and twee nowadays. But yeah. A duck. I, can't, I, I mean, as a kid, I remember thinking, where do they poop? <laughs> Like, I remember thinking, like, how awful life had to been back then. I'm like, they're t- I remember they're taking their lunch at fucking school in a bucket, for Christ's <laughs> they sake. They did, they did. Come on. And you know Michael Landon reeked. You know, it was like, they didn't have deodorant. Yeah. Would, oh, no. He worked out in the fields. and Yeah, of course. And that old bitch. That Mrs. Uh, Olsen. Harriet uh, Olsen. come on. On your cartoon. <laughs> oh, for heaven's oh, sake. The mugging. It was, her, I it was her catchphrase, for heaven's sake. Like any woman was that much of a mugger yeah. back in Walnut Grove. Yeah. Anyway, it's, sorry. Yeah. We watched it. I agree with you. It's In hindsight, it's pretty unwatchable. It really is. Okay. And how did they age? It was like... It was well, it only ended on up, well, for like five years, but like what's her pussy became like a fucking forty-year-old. Remember, towards the end after Mary went blind, I gave up. I, oh. gave, I was like, "Come on!" Oh, you didn't stick around for when Mary's blind husband got oh, struck by lightning yes. and it blew his eyes back in. Oh, for fuck's sake, Michael when they, Landon! When they when they oh. adopted a bunch of new kids because yes, the other ones, Willie, who no, was Willie. I remember no, when no, no. Willie came Will along. Albert was the new one. Albert. Nellie, Nellie and Willie Olsen were there. But then when they grew up, they added Nancy Olsen. And they the adopted a girl. Wally had a kid or whatever. Anyway. Yeah. But it did end up, you know, with The Little House, A New Beginning. That was their aftermath. And Melissa Gilbert was like 16 playing 18-year-old grown-up married with children, Laura Ingalls Wilder. She married Wally or something like that, didn't she? Almanzo. Manly. Mm. Manly. And he was, too. He was hot. Uh, then Arnold and Tootie come in. Yeah. And Arnold's, uh, Arnold is, God, he's so funny. And the material, Megan and I talked about how horrible the sexualizing of these teenage girls is. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the sexualization of an 11 year old boy. Yeah. Who looks six. Who looks, yeah. Who looks like a toddler. (laughs) And he comes in with Tootie who now towers over him by several feet. And he walks in with Tootie and he's like, hey, to Blair and Joe, he's like, this room is taken. <laughs> Meaning, it's like, so he was thinking that he was going to get Tootie in Mrs. Garrett's bedroom. Legs to... up in Mrs. Garrett's bed. What? It's like, did, what <laughs> are you, you know, it's he's... like, and, it, and he says something like, you know, well, we, because we're going to get it on. Like, doesn't he say get it on? He's about to bend Kim Fields over, pull up a chair, stand on it, <laughs> so he can ram her from the back. 
but he i think he does say something like get it on like it's it's not even like like we talked about earlier what was natalie gonna do with steve the delivery boy up in her room i was like she probably wanted to listen to records and maybe hold hands maybe yeah a, a steal a smooch yeah he says get it on he's like i need this room to fuck this chick yeah and <laughs> sure totally appropriate 1980 old-fashioned bar decoration the set decorator again i gotta give him a hand because mm. there's a, a bowl of, of pretzels yeah remember those days the, the bowl of pretzels and you'd get go is to the a bartender... bar and there'd be a bowl like a cereal bowl yeah full of it was peanuts. it's it's the the um the wooden lattice work bowl that the salads were also served yeah, in. yeah. That everybody put their hands in ew uh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, can you imagine <laughs> how many yeah. people have touched those pretzels? Yeah, and there's no bottle of Purell next to it. That's... And, but they all lived, didn't they? Yeah, Isn't I that know. Interesting? They had better immune systems than we fucking do. You never hear about anybody being now, like, well, I got hepatitis, hell. Yeah. Well, there was this bar called the Chuggalot, <laughs> and they had pretzels in a bowl. Nowadays, I get a flu shot every year, and I still catch the fucking flu. The fucking it's flu. just not that bad. Yeah. It's like... Oh, so... But if wh- somebody double dips in a fucking jar of salsa <laughs> at work, you're like, what the fuck <laughs> exactly How is dear? wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> so I just love the, the... It's really like a step back in time to see like the decorations. There's a jukebox, for Christ's sake. <laughs> and there's a bar... With ashtrays and stuff. And just, yeah, and oh yeah, there were two ashtrays. You're yeah. right. There were two uh, empty right. ashtrays. Bet- no, right next but- to the yeah. how many drunk people accidentally ashed into those pretzels. <laughs> I can tell you from experience more than one. Oh, Matthew. <laughs> God, just kills me. So we come back from this uh, recap of season two, episode one. And we have Blair and Tootie and Natalie together looking at the yearbook. And uh, Natalie says, oh, Blair, I think you might want to look under Joe's bed. And Blair's like, why? And she says, there's something peach under there. So Blair realizes, oh, those are the peach pumps I've been looking for. So Blair uh, crouches down under the bed. And in the process of retrieving these shoes, she knocks over the TV tray with the engine and the carburetor and all the various parts of this project Joe has been working on. And they're all like, oh no, Joe's been working on it for two weeks. And some pieces fell through the heating vent. And remember I asked you to put a pin in that clip earlier? At this point, Tootie says, for the first time, I think all season, there's gonna be trouble. It's like, what okay well that means that the clip that was added for syndication makes sense because it was a callback that's kind of cool we see Tootie say that when she's in season one and now we see her saying it at the end of season five that's just uh, odd to me very odd to see something in syndication actually superior to the original but it is on this note that we go to commercial and then we come back from commercial. No, don't worry. I'm not going to do an interview with myself and talk about how I uh, got to be an actor. That's that's another day, another time. We come back from commercial with Blair sitting at the table trying to put the engine pieces back together, trying to say, well, she's not going to notice. She'll be fine. There's nothing to worry about. And then Natalie says, unless Joe acts like she usually does, <laughs> I smell a group of clips <laughs> with a, a lead in like that. So what we get is uh, these clips that all are examples of Joe being the tough chick. So the first one is Tootie noticing Joe's engagement ring in the teenage marriage episode. That was season two, episode seven. Then we have another weird thing with a clip that is in the syndication cut but is not in the DVD broadcast cut. So it's very weird, but it's that short bit where Joe had visited her dad in prison and he was coming to visit her. And the episode was The Secret. And you remember, my guest was Heather Delmott. And, uh, well, I want you to hear a little bit more from Heather Delmott right now. 
Shang-Chi says, kind of, you know, looking off to the side like, um, oh, so that's where she gets it from. What do you mean that's where she gets it from? And she proceeds to say, every time Joe is faced with anything difficult, she runs away. She leaves the room and she runs off. Now I know where she gets it from. Mm -hmm. And she has some beautiful advice. And she says, your daughter is hurting. This is not the time to run away. And he's like, well, she doesn't want me here. And she says, the, the beautiful, did you write down the beautiful line? I did. Did you write it down? I did too. Let you, I want to let you say it. Don't you think it's time that one of you stopped running? <laughs> is that your Mrs. Karen? It was horrible. <laughs> don't, oh, don't. don't you think don't you think it's time that one of you stopped running? That's so it awful. Was, it, it got, I wish it, I had time to practice. It was that. so much it better never the would second get time. Was it? It was so much Thank better. Thank you. I'm gonna quit while I'm ahead. Yeah. <laughs> She is so crazy. The next clip is from season three, episode 19, New York, New York. My guest was Logan Benedict and some fun stuff to revisit here. So we're ready to jump in and start synopsizing this biatch. Mm. Let's do it. Synopsize a word. Absolutely. It's the verb form Mm. of a synopsis to synopsize. So am I not non-synopsized? But I, oh, I don't know. I was play play on words with circumcised, but it's enough. Oh, <laughs> wow. Are 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 you synopsized or not? Uh, well, <laughs> since you brought it I up, I am Jewish. Actually, you... <laughs> no, I'm not. But, uh, but I am synopsized. You are synopsized. Okay. About me and my penis. Like well, like many of us Gentiles are, just because it was all the rage in the in the, in the 80s, in the 70s, in the oh, 60s. In my like case, a good old synopsized penis. It's like all cleaned up, like a nice haircut. <laughs> Scott Thompson did a funny monologue about it on the kids in the hall. Oh, that, yeah, I remember that was a good one too. <laughs> yeah, because it was it was just mom, dad, doctor. I want my foreskin back. It was taken from me without my permission. They say you lose up to eighty percent of the sensitivity in the head of the penis. <sighs> the mind boggles. <laughs> you know. Sorry to take a tangent on foreskins. Um, so a long time ago, I was doing a show, um, and one of the guys in the cast, we were getting into an argument about, about foreskins. Okay, and, about denying, and, denying and, their existence? And so and I, I'm synopsized, and he's not. Okay, yeah. And, and he was like, well, you know, you know, I think that's fundamentally wrong. I don't think you should be allowed to make that decision for children. Oh, okay, gotcha. And... And so, long story short, we agreed and disagreed. And now he writes, he's like a, like a head psychologist for Yale University. And he writes all of these articles about, about how wrong it is mm-hmm. to, um, to cut or not to cut and to, to make that decision. Mutilate. To, to, to mutilate a Mutilate penis. a baby without, yeah. And, um, and I, I always want to think that it's my fault. <laughs> You got <laughs> that that he's devoted his whole life to preventing penis mutilation. Wow! So Logan Benedict, his penis inspires careers. Yeah. <laughs> his penis inspired yeah. a movement. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be the but first time. It's uh, hi oh, but um, and I think it's if I lost eighty percent of the feeling. Yeah, God for you know, know. God knows what would happen to me if I we, still had that eighty percent. We wouldn't be here. I, yeah, I'd still be at home. Right We'd now. be at home. <laughs> But <laughs> you have to do that into the mic. Good. And uh, mm. I, I did. Oh, oh, I know, but really get up in there, yeah, because that was get up and I, do that. <laughs> as in, you want me to stand up and no, because I because I when I play this back, it'll you know it'll. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. You're welcome, America. Yeah, that'll be my new ringtone. <laughs> and when people go, huh? You just, yeah. oh, it's just uh, my, uh, that's my friend David. Yeah, don't mind. <laughs> And then Hildy comes back and she's like, Hildy, why did you leave? And how could you put me in this? And you had me worried. And Hildy was like, the food's already. I was having an abortion. (laughs) Which was also in the show randomly. (laughs) I got back as fast as I could. (laughs) You don't know how long an abortion takes nowadays. This show is about issues. And that's another issue. Yeah. This is my fact of life. (laughs) And then I had to put my father into a nursing home. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, she, but Hildy is calm and clearly used to being abused like this. And she's like, what? It's already. It's in the fridge. I took care of everything. And the fetus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I quit. Go ahead. One more time. <laughs> wow. Listening to that again. It's embarrassing how much he was flirting with me and trying to get me to sleep with him. Man. Logan, you're a married man. I can't. I have morals. Anyhow, the next clip is from Season 3, Episode 5, The Front Page. And my guest was Joe Lorenz. And you remember, that's the one where Joe had the journalism teacher who was really, really tough on her. You know how terrible it makes me feel when I'm here and you make me feel like a dummy? Mm -hmm. And she says, and he's like, what? What are you talking about? And he says, it's always exciting for a teacher to see a student who has real potential. And she's like, wait a minute, so I'm not a dummy? And he's like, no. And at one point he says, how did we get to be on opposite sides of the fence? Mm. So Joe kind of fesses up to the chip she frequently has on her shoulder and how reactive she is. Still a character flaw of hers that she owns up to. And she says, look, when someone pushes me without thinking, I just push back. And I'm going to pause here before we continue. I have such a big problem with the trope in both sitcoms and dramas and in life of the teacher who pushes you hard and is super extra tough on you because you are so good and have such potential. I'm gonna circle a note that I wrote. Oh, he is circling tough love. Blech. Blech. I am right there with you. I fucking hate hate that that mindset. so much because whatever, if that's your philosophy, ideology, whatever. But if you are this wonderful teacher that is so attentive and does see such potential, why haven't you picked up on the fact that it's not working? Yeah, read the room. We've had so many you're not reading the room situations. Take a look at Joe, your now established star pupil, and realize, oh, but she hates me right now which means she's not really going to be listening to me as well as I would like her to because I'm honestly trying to teach her I fucking hate the tough love teacher thing people who think they can justify being bullies fuck them fuck every single one of them the psychology of being tough on a student versus saying what student would not love to hear a teacher say You have real potential. You are very good in this class. I need you to keep working hard. Right. And I'm going to ask you to do a couple of extra things only because I know you can handle it. Because I know you can handle it because I believe that these are the things that will help propel you in this thing that I see you are so passionate about. Yeah. I don't know who the student would be that would say, yeah, well, fuck you. Yeah, I wish you'd yell at me. Yeah. Like, exactly. how, how You're great. You're not my dad. <laughs> yeah. How great would that be to, for the teacher to say, I see you. Yes. I see how how how, how uh, dialed in, how passionate you are about this thing that I'm teaching you. Like, as opposed to Joe thinking, well, he hates me. Yeah. How is that better? Yeah, and he thinks I'm a dummy because he's making me feel like a dummy and clearly can't see that he's doing that. Yeah. For someone so concerned with facts and the truth, there is an inherent dishonesty. Mm -hmm. There's a big disconnect here with this character of Mr. Gideon. And can I also say, not for nothing, uh, the actor who plays Gideon has crazy coke eyes. Oh, no. The next clip is Blair and Joe fighting over Joe getting the invite to the cotillion by the boy that Blair thought was going to be asking her to the cotillion. That was season two, episode three, Double Standard. And my guest for that was Miss Jody Chase. So Joe comes back from the arcade and they're like, oh, oh we do have some fun with Mrs. Garrett and the words and Tootie and Natalie, etc." cetera. Yeah. Um, then Joe comes back from the arcade and they're like, oh, did you have a good time? That's great and everything. And she says, ah, oh, and Blair, your friend was there. He wouldn't leave me alone. Yeah. 
What? What are you talking about? He was stuck to me like flies on a no pest strip. No pest strip. That immediately for me, David, brought back the basement of my house mm-hmm. with a fly strip. <laughs> Where? There was so much nostalgia in just this one episode that it made me giddy. Because you grew up in a shithole. <laughs> Oh, no. Is that? No. Oh, I'm sorry. I I misread that. Sorry. I said the basement. The basement. Yeah. (laughs) No, there was so much nostalgia. Just um, Oh, a no pest strip. That's a very 1980 uh, term. I don't think that those exist, but that's just a brand name for... Uh, fly paper. Fly it's literally paper. fly paper that you yeah, had. We had one in our basement yeah. where the fly, it was gross. Yeah. And um, I mean, that, uh, some of the things that were nostalgic, just um, w- what they were wearing, um, Blair had was rocking her Gloria Vanderbilt jeans. Oh my God. Rocking it with the little swan on the pocket. Yeah. I was like, I had a pair of those. Yes. And Tootie had these little things in her hair. They were bows, but they were made out of um, the thick yarn. Yarn. That thick yeah, yarn. I those had were that. so popular. Yeah. Oh. Next up, the clip of Joe building the trap to catch the squirrel that was part of the story in Season 4, Episode 19, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. My guest for that show was J.W. Moore. And uh, yeah, we had some fun (laughs) racial humor that we got to comment on, as well as the fact that he and I recorded this in March before the pandemic really became a thing. So it's very strange to hear us making these glib side jokes about coronavirus, but uh, here we go with JW. Natalie gets angry. She throws the sweater on the floor and says, this is crazy. Even Kunta Kinte got more respect. Yeah, cue the laugh track. Cue the laugh track. Okay, wow. You you do know the reference. I'm oh yeah, assuming. Roots. Yeah. LeVar Burton. Yeah, exactly. And it's Jordy like, LaForge, Reading like, Rainbow. If there's any question about this slavery day mm-hmm. correlating or being in any way a reference to the actual institution of slavery yes. in our country, this was the moment mm-hmm. where suddenly it was just like, did you really just say that Kunta, Kunta Kinte, Kinte the lead respect. character of Roots, a slave in the South, mm-hmm. got more respect? It's like, wow. Yep. Really... In a, it, I audibly not appropriate sighed. for the time and even less appropriate now. You could 40 hear years later. my eyes rolling. <laughs> Blair has a towel over her head, so she didn't see anything of this squirrel shenanigans. Yeah. And Mrs. Garrett does kind of one last ditch effort like, Blair, is there any chance you feel well enough? She starts to praying. Help us out. She starts praying. She starts praying. Yeah. And Blair just like sneezes on her, mm-hmm. essentially. So she's got the coronavirus now. Yeah. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> then Blair does come down because she says she needs some milk. Mm-hmm. Because when you're sick with a head cold, you need milk. You need nothing you like need lactose. Dairy to wow. <laughs> so they introduce her. She shakes the hand of the brother and then sneezes on it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I put coronavirus. In my notes. See, <laughs> See right he's there. Got it now. See right there. Once again. Too soon. <laughs> Yep, too soon, and some might argue, back in March, it was too late. Anyhow, the next clip is actually one that is missing from the syndicated version, but it is on the DVD, and it's a clip with Joe being annoyed at Blair when she and Blair and Natalie are at the coffee shop in Season 3, Episode 18, Runaway. That's the one where Tootie then goes into the city to follow after them to prove how grown up she is and basically almost gets roped into either sex trafficking or at the very least non-consensual sex work. Anyhow, by the time the episode builds up to the point where Tootie figures out what's going on, uh, this is what my guest Jamie Lynn Marcus and I had to say about it. Am I right that Christy just walks up to her out of the blue and says, does my hair look all right? Yeah, she kind of came out of the bathroom. (laughs) Does my hair look okay? It's like, it looks Um, exactly the same as it did before. Yes. And (laughs) it was... Change it at all, if that's what you mean. What a a weird (laughs) conversation starter. Why are you asking? Does my hair look good enough for the trick I'm about to go on? But but they were, I think they were trying to reverse engineer, because then now Tootie is like, 
You can drop the act. I know you're not an actress, and I know you work for Mike. You're a liar. Yeah, you're not an actress. Yeah, yeah. And your hair doesn't look all right. Yeah. And I'm not sure you even care what your hair Fine. looks like. Cause Child. Because you're, you're a lying liar. <laughs> your hair's nice, but you're... Poopy face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you lie to me this whole time? Yeah. And then the best line, we both laughed <laughs> so hard, where... Christy was like, what What are you talking about? Mike's just my friend. And Tootie says, I'm not that dumb. Uh, yes. yes. Yes, you, you are. are. Yes, you are. In you fact, are about, about two minutes so, ago, you just realized how dumb you were. You are so beyond that dumb. The way, Bernice just flat out said, don't be so dumb. Yeah. Because stupid idiot. you are, in fact, dumb. <laughs> yeah. You are dummy McDummerton. How couldn't you have seen all of this going on around yeah. you? <laughs> and the final clip for this uh, part one of this episode is from season three, episode four, A Friend Indeed. That's the one where Blair's mother has breast cancer. But the clip they show, because we're still talking about Joe here, is the clip where Joe has come into the kitchen basically to build a bomb to blow up the motorcycle dealership that wouldn't hire her. Uh, so my guest for that episode was Logan Donahue, and Logan and I went off on a weird tangent at the beginning. Remember two weeks ago, Artie Ellis was asking, why do more people not worship Nell Carter as sort of a, a diva, the way they worship other Broadway and music personalities? And I had forgotten that Logan and I went on a fun little Nell Carter tangent at the beginning of our show. As a child of the 80s, I'm 37. So um, that's how I think I watched, um, oh, what was the other one with Nell Carter? Where give, she was, me a, give me a break. Give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> that's my awful. My voice is terrible. Give me a break. Everything comes back to hair. By it the way, does. between Nell Carter and Charlotte Ray, you everything comes back I to hair today. I forgot that Charlotte Ray was in the movie Hair, mm -hmm. and during the show, you reminded me of that. It's little things that I'm obsessed with, and Nell Carter was one of the three yeah. black women that sang in, in all the different black women parts in Hair. Um, it's, yeah. I, how do you do... You just did it, too. How do you not do Nell Carter without... Just no. putting your voice up in your nose. Ain't got no home. Ain't got no shoes. Yeah. yeah. Ain't got no money. <laughs> That's it. That's, yeah. First things first. When the opening theme came along, Logan sang along with it. <laughs> as, as Nell Carter. <laughs> as Nell Carter. The <laughs> Nell Carter. I'm going to release, this is off my upcoming album, Nell Carter Sings All the Theme Songs of the 1980s. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know how offensive it is to have a 30-something... Uh, half latino boy singing nell carter's voice <laughs> but you know we're running with it so what would be the 80s theme songs that nell carter would sing <laughs> um obviously the snorks and entertainment tonight and we didn't know there was lyrics there but nell carter's gonna discover them for us <laughs> And that's it for the clips in the episode, but we still have some more of the new stuff to contend with because we have this story of Blair having fucked up Joe's engine, and we need to progress this plot line here. So... Blair is still preparing for the worst as Mrs. Garrett comes in with the peach organza, the dress, and then Joe comes in behind her. Blair fumbles and stammers over trying to explain what happened, and basically Blair, in trying to apologize to Joe, says, look, here, I'll write you a check and you can buy a new one. And Joe gets mad at Blair because all you do is throw money at a problem. You think that solves everything. And in the course of Joe responding to Blair, she picks up the dress and it lands on top of the table with the engine on it. And Blair is like, whoa, whoa, my organza. And she picks it up and it has a massive set stain like like it does not look fresh it looks like it has been soaking in for a few hours it is so very clearly 
a prop dress made to look dirty. But this magical set stain that appears is, of course, you know, Blair is like, no, what did you do? Ah, you messed up my dress. And uh, here's a great moment. Lisa Welchel, the Texan, she says, this is her line. You dropped the dress on that Ollie engine on purpose. She says, Ollie, not oily. Very Southern to say Ollie. And uh, that one snuck by and nobody fixed that or corrected her on that. So that's just a little oop. Those occasional little peaks of uh, Lisa Welchel's Texan coming into Blair, the sophisticated New Yorker. Um, Mrs. Garrett says the dress can be fixed, but what's more important is your friendship, meaning don't fight. And Joe says, never mind, I'm not going to have to fake being friends next year. I'm moving out. And out the door Joe goes. And that is our cliffhanger ending for the first half of The Way We Were. Ladies and gentlemen and my tens of listeners, I'm going to stop here because we are at the end of the episode. So next week, it's going to be part two. It's going to be me again. It's going to be a lot more clips, a lot more fun Thank you again so much to Matthew Arder for suggesting this and then for helping me go through all of these clips. It was a godsend to have someone else helping me do it. So I'm going to end the show like I always do, saying thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this little silly thing that I do and for having listened for the last two years. I can't wait for the next two. And remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>